0: yes, by now you understand the meaning of that theme song. We are in Marketing Principles, Chapter 13, lecturing on the Marketing Channel, and the purpose is to deliver. And we are really finishing Chapter 13, the last episode, closed on the three types of Marketing Channel strategy. Marketing channel strategy, of course, the fourth of the four, excuse me, marketing channel strategy, the third of the three required chapter 13 concepts, channel intermediaries functions, channel structure, and channel strategy decisions. We are just wrapping up the third of the three Marketing channels, chapter 13, concepts required for the final exam. I have already completed the uh, discussion of the definition of the three levels of distribution intensity, which are the three marketing strategy outputs. They are intensive, a form of distribution aimed at having a product available at every outlet, selective, a form of distribution achieved by screening dealers and outlets to eliminate those that don't meet the desired characteristics by the producer, and exclusive, a form of distribution that establishes one, and if not one, a very few dealers or outlets within a given area to reinforce the exclusive nature of the producer's product. This understanding of the three levels of distribution intensity is further clarified on our slide thirty-one, where it shows that intensive is typically a mass-market uh, selling objective associated with convenience goods. If you recall the uh, the categories of of product categories that we learned in chapter ten, then selective it would make sense is associated with the objective of shopping. Goods and maybe some specialty goods working with selected types of intermediaries. Again, coming from our slide 31 as the visual narrative. And then, exclusive, if we were to associate that with the product categories from chapter 10, would most naturally be associated with specialty goods and for B2B, certain types of specialized industrial. Equipment. Keep in mind that these marketing channel strategy decisions of intensive, selective, and exclusive apply to both B2C and B2B industrial marketing channels. We had separate diagrams for the B2B and B2B marketing channel structure, but we only have one conceptual framework. For the marketing channel strategy decisions of intensive, selective, and exclusive, stemming from market factors, product factors, and producer factors. So be sure in your understanding to incorporate both B2C and B2B customers in the marketing channel strategy decision of intensive, selective and exclusive. Given that, we have then completed all three of the required concepts for the final exam. And as I mentioned uh, in the earlier episode, I will complete the chapter 13 concepts that are not required for the final exam, but should be at least familiar for your understanding. And with that, we go into the social dimensions, just like an interpersonal, relations. The type of relationship usually conditions the the social dimensions of that association. And the same is the case in the marketing channel. The relationships between channel intermediaries can be broken down into three basic types as we're looking at our slide 33 in chapter 13. The basic standard relationship is called arm's length. And that's usually a transaction where a producer would find a particular type of distributor or a distributor would find a particular type of retailer just for a one time transaction to deliver or distribute in a low involvement, low risk way. As the relationship became closer and the social association became stronger, it would move from arm's length to cooperative relationship. It usually is associated with a formal contract, although there may not be a lot of capital investment or long-term commitment, there is an understanding, again, a contractual understanding that that there would be a deference to the party you have a cooperative relationship with, and therefore you would avoid entering into a relationship with another party that might compete with them. So, if a producer and a wholesale distributor entered into a cooperative relationship, it's understood that the distributor should not be also distributing competing producers' products, nor should the producer be looking to distribute through competing wholesalers. Then we move to the closest form of relationship, which is the integrated relationship. And for that reason, I have already describe the marketing channels concept of integration or as we know it vertical integration when it is either forward vertical integration from the producer to the wholesale distributor to the retailer or backward vertical integration which is from the retailer to the wholesale distributor to the producer these integration Strategy decisions to create an integrated relationship often involve acquiring all or part of a firm. This is in finance referred to as merger and acquisition. Or purchasing the firm. And this is how integration occurs. Of course. We have. Primarily been dealing with the vertical integration within the channel, but there is another form of integration that can occur, which is called horizontal integration. And that would be when channel members integrate at the same level with other enterprises at the same level that they are. So two producers could merge, and that would be horizontal integration. It could be more than two, but two or more. It could be two or more wholesalers or distributors that integrate, and that would be horizontal because they are all at the same level of as intermediaries within the channel, or it could be two or more retailers that integrate, and we witness this in the marketplace often. Having then explained the types of relationships within those relationships, social dimensions occur just as they do With you or I on our individual interpersonal associations, the interpersonal nature of marketing channel intermediary associations also give rise to social dimensions that can be favorable or unfavorable. And these can be very expensive or very lucrative if the social dimensions are favorable. It could work out very lucrative with opportunities for all involved. And if the social dimensions are unfavorable, it can be quite financially expensive and destroy an entire uh, marketing strategy. Those dimensions are power, control, leadership, conflict, and partnering. The definitions are given for each of those on subsequent slides, and they're fairly straightforward. And then we move to close Chapter 13 with an understanding of Distribution for distribution decisions for global markets and those basically require the uh, Marketing planner to understand which country or market They are going into around the globe and if it is and as they're looking at different foreign countries and markets They have to understand that these channel structures and the types of arrangements And the customs and rituals associated with that foreign market culture will differ. And you have to make the decision, will those differences interfere with the achievement of their marketing objectives and the delivery and distribution that is required through the channel, or will they be constructive? And the gray market channels emerge. These are sometimes called informal channels. Because there is already an established infrastructure for global travel, for international travel by plane, uh, by train, uh, truck, by uh, boat, by rail. And as it relates to services uh, over e-commerce. And so it is harder for companies to regulate exactly how their products make their way from foreign Markets to the domestic market or from the domestic market to foreign markets because there are already a variety of Infrastructural gray channels or informal channels that can be used and no company can control all of those channels So when you begin to make a global uh, marketing channel uh, strategy decision you have to be aware of the gray marketing channels as well as the channel structure and type you choose They uh, highlight at the end of Chapter 13 the notion that the distribution of services and marketing channels for services are distinct. We have already addressed the marketing channels and the marketing mix and distribution of services in Chapter 12 in a prior lecture episode, so we do not need to dwell on that here. It just reinforces that convenience as it relates to scheduling and waiting time and responsiveness is of the utmost concern. Now we can quickly transition to Chapter 15, which you are required to know for the final exam, and you should be studying the concepts specifically referring to the uh, marketing uh, principles, Module 4 Final Exam. Question concept table, if you refer to that now, you'd find that the concepts we will be covering that you're responsible for in Chapter 15 are the classification of retail store types, non-store and direct retailing, and then the retailing marketing mix. And that retailing marketing mix ends up being six Ps, and it uh, adds to the traditional four Ps that we are actually covering within the retail strategy decision a process the retailers have to in fact for their own marketing mix consider 6 Ps as we will learn so that gives you a chance to queue up the three types of concepts that we will be covering in chapter 15 and again use my verbal narrative from these podcast lectures to support your visual narrative provided by the text chapter slides, as well as the uh, narrative that unfolds for your examination and study in looking at the actual final exam pool items. Uh, Hopefully, my lecture explanations will give you an understanding that improves your ability to perform well in responding to those pool item questions as they are selected. For the final exam. Now, as we are entering into chapter 15, we know that retailing is where shopping is done. We're all familiar with shopping. And so shopping becomes a compatible theme for a song on retailing. And I'm going to go old school and cue up a theme song, just a little bit of just shopping. Okay, so hopefully uh, we are doing more than just shopping. Hopefully we are buying everything, but that old school song uh, does in fact have some relevance to retailing because it addresses the prevalent activity of consumers at retailers online or offline, which is shopping. So as we look at chapter 15 in retailing, as is common, we begin with a definition. And that definition talks about the role of retailing. I'm looking at your slide five in chapter 15. All of the activities directly related to the sale of goods and services to the ultimate consumer for personal non-business use. That's you and I, household individuals, we purchase the sale of goods at retail outlets online and online or mobile or however you choose. We're not going to address the role of retailing. You're not required to know that. It simply likes to outline how prominent retailing is in developed economies, specifically the United States. Retailing accounts for a large percent, roughly a tenth, and some say even up to 20% of employment, but particularly when you take into account online retailing like Amazon and the numbers that it employs in its warehouses. uh, Retailing accounts for 50% of GDP. And some have estimated that as much as 80% of economic activity is driven by retailing. So obviously, retailing is important. After we look at the uh, role of retailing which you are not required to study for the final exam, we move to the first concept that you are required to study and that really covers the bulk of chapter 15 and that is classifying the types of retail operations. I'm on your slide number eight and you'll find that there are four basic criteria We're classifying retail operations. They are the type of ownership, the level of service, the product assortment range, and the price or margin. We then move to a table uh, on slide number nine that really explains the entirety of the chapter. And so the more you understand the way in which that table is presented in slide nine, the more you will understand the chapter and the better you will perform on the final exam items selected. That table across the top gives headings for four different columns that correspond to three of the four characteristics of retail operations. It will not address ownership but it does address the level of service. It does address the product assortment. We're talking about the third column now is product assortment. Second column is level of service. The the fourth column is price. And then gross margin or the profit typically earned from the selling price is the fifth column. So the fourth and fifth column price and gross margin can combine to address the criteria of price. Now the first column is merely the type of retailer and we have already said that the variables determine the type of retailer or classify the type of retailer. So as we look at the type of retailer, we'll find different patterns in the level of service, product assortment, price, and gross margin. The department store, moderately high service, broad product assortment, prices moderate to high, and the gross margin is moderately high. And then specialty stores therefore can target a unique set of goods as well and services as well as customers. So their level of service is high. Their product assortment because their specialty is narrow but their price is high, moderate to high, and the gross margin compared to department stores is high. And we look at supermarkets. The level of service is low. The product assortment is high. The price is moderate, but particularly look at the gross margin, the cost of grocery goods and availability is such that the gross margin of supermarkets is low. Convenience stores are low level of service, hence the term convenience, more do it yourself, they're there for your access and location. The product assortment is not as broad, it's medium to low. The price is moderate to high and the gross margin is moderate to high above that of supermarkets, you are paying more for the convenience. Drug stores, low to moderate level of service, medium product assortment, because they are focused on uh, those items initially in and around medical and cosmetic and hygiene, but now have expanded more broadly, but still medium product assortment, and then moderate price, and then low margin. And now we move into the disc full line discount stores, low, excuse me, moderate to low level of service, and compare the full-line discount store with the uh, department store as moderately high to high. So for the discounted items, they take away some of the services provided. The assortment is medium to broad. Compare that to department stores as broad. The price is moderately low and compare that to the department store moderate to high and the full line discount store margins or profits are moderately low. Compare that to department stores moderately high. Now if you move into the specialty discount store and compare this with the specialty store, uh, the level of service is moderate to low because they're only looking at specialty items that are discounted. So they again remove some of the service to deliver greater savings. The product assortment is medium to broad. If you look at the specialty store, it's narrow. Why would the specialty discount store be medium to broad? Because they are looking at discounted items that can help store traffic and move some of the other discounted specialty items so they are not as narrowly focused on a particular type of specialty, be it jewelry, um, Uh, accessories, uh, outerwear and coats, shoes. Uh, These would be the types of specialty stores and others. And it does not have to just exist within apparel. There could be specialty stores, for instance, honey-baked ham and food or ice cream uh, uh, shops. There could be specialty stores in electronics just for phones, as we know, Uh, and uh, as opposed to all uh, broad electronic products like a Best Buy there could be specialty stores even for home supplies and home repair. So I don't want to uh, indicate uh, that it is only in apparel, uh, but it is helpful uh, for familiarity purposes to refer to apparel. And you can see that because the specialty discount store is not really going to derive as much revenue and profit from A single line because they're taking the discounted merchandise, they will expand beyond the narrow specialty to also include other discounted items. And then this specialty, a discount store has moderately low to low prices, and you can compare that to the specialty store of moderate to high, and then moderately low profit, compare that to the specialty store of high. These things make sense. I just want you to understand how to look and compare these different types of retailers along these criteria uh, that we have indicated. Then the warehouse clubs, uh, which are even more specialized because of the bulk, you would expect as many of us have gone to Costco and Sam's Club that the service is low. Again, they are taking some of the money that could be allocated towards staff and staff training for service and putting that into savings so the service is low, the assort, product assortment is broad, the price is low to very low, and the gross margins are low. And we would be comparing those to possibly supermarkets. Then the off-price retailer, and these are even more Uh, Savings than discounters. We're talking about Ross, probably TJ Maxx, and these types of things, again, in apparel and possibly home furnishings. And we see this uh, level of service is low. Compare the off-price retailer to the specialty discount store, where it's moderate to low service. The off-price retailer is low. Or as I like to say, get it if you can. There are oftentimes battles for merchandise in the off-price retailers, and you're lucky if the rack or the shelves are even organized when you get there, but the service will be low. And the assortment is moderate to narrow. Again, not as narrow as a specialty store, um, excuse me, medium uh, uh, to narrow, and more like the specialty discount store And then the price is low. Compare that to the specialty discount store, moderately low to low. And then the off-price retailer gross margin is low. Compare that to the specialty discount store of moderately low. Finally, restaurants are a type of retailer as well, and uh, their level of service is low to high. Again, this is a wide range of restaurants, including fast food, casual dining, and full service. So, we're just taking the restaurant category. So, and then the product assortment having to focus on food and particular types of food would be narrow. The price is low to high and the gross margin low to high. If you understood my detailed explanation of this table, you'll find the reason why I will be able to move quickly through subsequent slides because we have largely addressed them. We will, however, highlight level of ownership or excuse me, type of ownership in terms of determining uh, the uh, type of retail operation that was not addressed in the table. There are three basic types of uh, retail ownership uh, operation, uh, uh, basic three types of retail operations as uh, differentiated by uh, ownership And they are independent retailers, the original type of retailer, Main Street uh, retailers, uh, are sometimes called mom and pop uh, uh, retailers or uh, independent proprietors. Then the chain stores, which have proliferated through the malls and across the country, which is a dominant type. And the franchises, which since the 1990s has become the dominant type surpassing chain stores and the franchises offer a lot of flexibility as well as investment opportunity. And so it has grown as the now dominant type of retail outlet in terms of growth. We can see that also the level of service, uh, these other uh, variables that we have already addressed are being explained In subsequent slides, I'm going to move past that. We know it goes from full service to self-service. Product assortment, there's a slide for that. I want you to know that all that slide is, we're looking at slide 12, is addressing is that the product assortment takes us back to chapter 10, where we looked at the product lines and mixes as having a composition of um, wide and deep or breadth and depth and that's all product assortment is, is the product mix for a particular retailer. Price, we know that uh, the price includes the selling price, but it also addresses the gross margin. It's the gross margin that the retailer receives. The selling price, uh, the cost of providing the good or service has to be subtracted from the selling price to result in the gross margin, which is what the retailer receives. And I have been referring to that also as profit. Specifically, it's called gross profit. Now that we've looked at the types of retail operations, slides 15 through slides 23 give a detailed description of those types if you're not familiar with them. Again, slides 15 through slides 23 go through all of the types of retail operations that I described in the table, and those are described in slides if you need additional familiarity. We then move to slide 24, which talks about non-store retailing, and we'll pick that up in the next episode.